Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back inside Garage Door Sports. It's Tuesday, May 8th, and we are now on episode 30 of the podcast. As always, my name is Nick McVicker. This week I am alone again. Unfortunately, Justin could not join me, but hey, I got a lot to talk about. We'll be fine. We will be fine. We got some NHL news, well, playoff news, NBA playoff news, and you know what? Let's throw a little MLB in there. Why don't we? Let's first off, let's start with what we love. Some NHL. Three out of the four conference semifinals are concluded. We have three conference finalists already decided. One game seven coming up on Thursday. Yeah, for some reason they decided to do the two-day break now after game six. But hey, what are you going to do? Let's take a look at the three that are done, though. I mean, why not? Good place to start, I think. And uh, in the East, we know both combatants. We got the Tampa Bay Lightning, who beat the Boston Bruins 4-1. Yeah, they. I thought they were the better team. I think Boston maybe could have snuck one more game, but I think Tampa's a better team than Boston, and they deserve to be there. Uh, on the other half of the bracket, we got Washington, who finally beat their demons. And I say finally because that's what Alexander Ovechkin said, too. After, <laughs> after the game, they interviewed him asking him, what do you think of doing this? Oh, finally. It finally happened. He used some more colorful language than I did, but hey, whatever. But that matchup is going to be an interesting one. I think they're both quick teams. Uh, Tampa is significantly faster than the Capitals, and I think they have the edge in almost every category, I think, forwards-wise. Washington's pretty deep, but I think Tampa's a little bit deeper. Uh, defense, it's almost no contest, I think. Tampa has the better defense by far. And in net, as much as you want to say uh, Holpe is still an elite goaltender, I don't think he was this year. So you're looking at possibly just a run-through by Tampa. But, hey, you never know. Washington pushed Pittsburgh out. Anything could happen. I guess we'll have to see. Let's take a look at those lines from Tampa. As I said, they're really, really deep. Their top line, Stamkos, Kucherov, Miller, just been on a tear recently. In fact, Kucherov has 12 points in the playoffs. And then you look down a little bit further, Braden Point is actually a sec tied for second with Stamkos on the team. Like They're getting scoring from all over. Uh, Point centering that second line with Palat and Johnson. They've been very, very dangerous all playoffs. Sorelli, Gord, Killorn down in the third line, and then Paquette, Callahan, Kunitz. That's a deep lineup. You look on their back end, too. Their former top-line right-hand right hand shot defenseman, Mikhail Sergachev, is now playing on their third line with Braden Coburg. Like, come on. that's You, you look at that, and you're just like, really? Is that really going to be a fair battle against the Washington Capitals? Who in their own right, are pretty deep, but I don't think they have the depth of of the Lightning. I mean, right now you got Chandler Stevenson playing up on the top line with Kuznetsov and Ovechkin for the Caps. Whether or not he stays there is another story. Then you look down, it's Lars Ellers, TJ Oshie, Jakob Vrana. They've been good. Are they going to be good enough to compete with that Braden Point line? I don't know. Travis Boyd, Devontae Smith-Pelly, and Brett Connolly make up your third line. It's a clear advantage to the Tampa Bay Lightning. 
And then your fourth line of Nathan Walker, who played his first game in game six, Jay Beagle and Alex Chason. Tampa obviously has it. And then even on the defensive end, Michael Kempney, John Carlson is a pretty good top pair. Dmitry Orlov, Matt Niskanen, not a bad second pair. But then the third pair of Brooks Orpik and Christian Jose. I don't see them being able to stop all four lines. That's the one thing with Tampa. All four lines can score, and all four lines have scored. So you're going to have to stop them. Uh but credit to the Capitals. They finally got the monkey off their back. They finally beat the Penguins. And you know what? I I saw something on Twitter. I can't remember where I saw it. I wish I could give credit. Um, but they said, you know, the, the Capitals could be very dangerous going forward. This is basically their Stanley Cup. They've been waiting years to beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. They've been waiting years to get to the third round. 24 years, in fact, to get to the third round. Guess what? They're there. Any, there's no hold bar now. They're playing with house money at this point because they weren't expected to be there, in my opinion. I think the Pens were supposed to be there out of that division. Now the Caps are there. So they're playing with house money. They're going to go up against the best team in the East, and hey, if they could push them, why not? I still see Tampa coming out in that series. I, I just don't see them losing to the Caps. Over in the West... The Cinderella story, if you can still call it that. I don't know if you can anymore. But the uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights are into the conference final after a 4-2, I don't know what you want to call it, dismantling? I don't even really call it a dismantling because the two games the Sharks won, they won one in overtime, but they won 4 nothing against the Knights in game four. But that game six, where Vegas won 3 nothing, they just outplayed them. It's unbelievable to watch. Like you you gotta like watching this kind of stuff because they're entertaining. Not very often are you gonna find a team that is just up and down the lineup looks as good as this Vegas Golden Knights team has. And it's not like they're top line players, because on other teams they aren't. That's why they're here. That's why they're in Vegas. But they're all playing with heart. They're all playing with passion. And they have four lines that can go out any time during the game and play. Well, three lines that can go out during any time of the game and play. And then a fourth line that is probably a good third line on some other teams. Like, It's hard to see a real weak spot on this team. Like, Even looking at the lineups now, like, you got that top line of Marcia Show Carlson and Smith have been unbelievable this year, all year, not just the playoffs, all year. And they're showing it again in the playoffs. Those are the three leading scorers for the Vegas Golden Knights. And out of the three of them, two of them have four goals and the other one has one. So it's not like they're lighting it up in goals. They each have seven, ten, six assists. Like that's insane. So they're scoring goals while they're also assisting on everything. They're not giving any easy goals up. So that top line has been scary. And then you look at the second line, who arguably the two players who people thought were going to lead this Vegas Golden Knights team in scoring, that's where they're sitting right now. David Perron and James Neal are both on the second line with Eric Howla. 
a lot of people saw Neil and Perron leading this team in goals all year. They didn't, obviously. But they're on the second line. They're formidable goal scorers. They have scored in the past, and they scored this year. So what's to say that they that line is not a dangerous line as well? I mean, again, look at the stats. Neil has three goals, four assists. Howla has three and three. Perron doesn't have a goal yet, but he has seven assists. They're, they're contributing. They're not just sitting there. They're contributing. And then that third line of Alex Tuck, Cody Eakin, Oscar Lindbergh. Tuck has been an unbelievable player in these playoffs. I didn't realize how fast he was until I got to watch him in this playoffs. He's a big boy. For those of you who don't know, he's I think he's somewhere in the six. Oh, I don't want to get this right wrong, so let me look this up. He's six plus. I know that for a fact. He is... 6'4". That's a big boy, especially as a forward, trying to get up and down the ice. But he's fast. And he's, he has four goals and three assists in these playoffs as well, same as James Neal. So guess what? That's another player who can score, and that's your third line. Then you look at the fourth line, and Ryan Carpenter, Pierre Edward, Belmar, and Thomas Nosek, they're going to bounce bodies. That's that's their entire goal is to bounce bodies. And they're doing a good job of it. Like, you're you're looking at a line that you got uh, Ryan Carpenter plus five. Um, uh, where are these guys? Belmar plus one. Uh, Carrier was even, but he's he's hurt. So it'll be interesting to see if he sneaks in. And then Nosek. Don't know why I can't say his name. He's even, but... He also has a point, so that's not as bad. They're they're a deep team up front. And then you look on the defense, and they're really good. Nate Smith, Braden McNabb. That's a that's a pretty good top pair. Maybe not an elite top pair like you're seeing on some of these other playoff teams. But that's a good top pair. And then your probably your best defenseman, Shea Theodore, is on your second line with Derek England. That's a pretty good pair, too. And you got Colin Miller and Lucas Spiza. On the third line. And what can you say about Mark andre Fleury? That guy has been unbelievable in the playoffs. And it's hard to argue that if this team makes it to the cup final and wins it. Now, I'm not saying they will, but if they win it, he has to be a Conn Smythe winner has to. He's got a 951 save percentage, 1.53 goals against, and four shutouts. And oh yeah, he's only played 10 games. He is playing lights out. He is playing like the flurry who got the pens to three Stanley Cup finals. Or sorry, one three Stanley Cup finals. Four Stanley Cup finals I think they went to with him in Pittsburgh. And you want to know why? It's because he has no pressure. Last couple years, Matt Murray was right on his heels. Now, he's got no pressure. Subban's sitting there. He's a decent prospect, goalie. But he's he's not going to take Fleury's spot. There's no way he's going to take Fleury's spot. And we know that. So Fleury can just go and play. 
He has no, no one behind him pushing him. And he gets to enjoy playing hockey. Yeah, enjoy playing hockey. Imagine that. He's getting paid millions of dollars. And he gets to enjoy playing hockey. And he's doing a pretty good job of it. So, Vegas has been a great story. Now, who are they going to play? Well, it's going to be the winner of the Nashville-Winnipeg series. Who, in my opinion, whoever wins this series, wins the cup. So, obviously you know that I think they're going to beat the Vegas Golden Knights. But, let's look at it a little bit, a little bit further in depth. These two teams were the two best teams in the regular season. Bar none. They were the two best teams in the regular season. So, who's to say that they're not going to be the two top teams? Or one of them is not going to be the top team coming out at the end. They're just so deep. You got Winnipeg, who I really hope wins. Because it would be nice to get one back in Canada. Just saying. But their top four line, Their four lines are just deep. Wheeler, Shifley, Connor up top on your first line. Ehler, Stastny, Line on your third. Or on your second. Armia, Little, Perot on your third. Brandon Tanev, Lowry, and Kopp as your fourth. Those are four dangerous lines. And then your defensive pairings. The right side of your D goes Truba, Bufflin, Myers. Any team in the league would love to have those three. And those are your three right-handed shots. Then you put Morrissey in, who's played unbelievable this year. Enstrom and Sherratt. And you're looking at a very, very deep line. And the way Hellebuck's been playing, if they get through Nashville, they can win the Cup. Now, on the flip side of that coin is Nashville, who, oh, by the way, is really, really deep. I feel like I'm just repeating myself for these four teams, but it's true. Forsberg, Johansson, Arvison, top line. They don't get much more dangerous than that. Fiala, Turris, Smith, pretty good second line. Sissons, Benino, Watson, bit of a bigger third line. And then Hartnell, Fisher, Yarncroke. Oh, yeah, that's a big fourth line. And then you look at their defense, which is their strong suit. Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, Matthias Ekholm, P.K. Soup. Those are your top four. And then you got Matt Irwin and Yannick Weber. Oh, yeah, just those two guys, just kind of hanging out. And then in that, you got Pecorine. And if he's on, he's on. So uh, I want Winnipeg to win. I really, really do. And in Game 7, anything can happen. But... Whoever wins this game, I think, wins the West. I love the Vegas story. It's hard to bet against them just because people have been betting against them all year and they still seem to do well. But I think these two teams are just too deep for the Knights. And I have no, I really have no issue saying that because guess what? They are deep. They're good teams. They deserve to be in the conference final. They deserve to move on. Now, let's say... Whichever team wins beats the Vegas Golden Knights. They're going to come up against a, probably a pretty competitive team in the East. 
as I said, I think Tampa wins. Tampa could push both of these teams. But I still see them being the best two teams in the league, and they just happen to be playing in the conference semifinal, which is unfortunate. And a lot of people are ripping the setup, the bracket setup, because guess what? You have the two best teams going up against each other. They'll have to figure that out, but right now it's just looking like those two teams are going to go through. Anyways, let's move on. I want to talk a little bit of the player stats a little bit more in depth and look at some of the surprises in my mind. Like, you know, the fact that the top five point getters are all knocked out. Jake Gensel, Sidney Crosby are tied for first with 21 points. Gensel is sitting ahead of him right now because he has 10 goals to Crosby's nine. And then you got the three-headed monster from Boston, Pasternak, Marchand, and Bergeron sitting in three, four, five. Yeah, all five of those players are no longer playing. Ovechkin, Forsberg, Shifley, Kuznetsov, Ryan Johansson round out the top 10. And there's a chance that two of those guys will not be playing come Friday night. How insane would it be if seven of the top ten point getters in the first two rounds are knocked out by the end of the first two rounds? To me, that's just unbelievable. And then you look a little bit further down and you look for the surprise players, the players who you didn't really expect to have a great postseason and honestly there aren't many I don't see any off the top of my head that really jump out at me and say wow I'm surprised this guy had a great postseason maybe Austin Watson the guy has four goals five goals sorry three assists he has as many he is one point less than Mitch Marner who only played seven games but he's a bit of a surprise I mean, how many points did he have in the regular season? I I don't remember him putting up monster point totals, so. Well, I mean, he only had 18 points. Or 19 points, sorry. 14 goals, 5 assists in 76 games. He now has 8 points, 5 goals, 3 assists, and 12. So, he's obviously stepped up in the playoffs. So, good for him. He's, I think he's a playoff guy. Like If you look at his stats, he has 17 points in 38 playoff games. He, has 19, he had 19 points in 76 games in the regular season this year. Just some food for thought. Okay, let's move on. No more hockey. As much as I want to talk hockey all the time, we got to move on. NBA playoffs are also going on. Toronto fans, I'm sorry. Our team cannot play in the playoffs. Holy crap. Another sweep at the hands of LeBron James. And if you watched the series, if you watched all four games, the Raptors were legitimately in two. The other two weren't even close. They did not look good. They did not look like they deserved to be there. They did not look like the number one seed. In the first game of the series, they should have won. They should have won. They didn't close it out, and that cost them because that was momentum right there. 
had they won that game, this series would have been very, very different. Because game two, then they had all the pressure on them because they couldn't lose two going to Cleveland. That's a no-no. Now, they lost both because they got absolutely blown out in the second game. But that first game, they legitimately should have won. Game three, they had a chance to win. I don't think they should have won. I don't think they played good enough the whole game. They were down by 20, I think, at one point. But they were competitive. They pushed. They were in the game. They had a chance to win it. And then LeBron did what LeBron does, and he shot a game-winning shot, running away from the basket, one-handed, one foot, and he sunk the Raptors. When you're down 3 nothing to the Cavs in Cleveland, you, we knew the Raptors were going to fold. And they did. What what happens now? Well, it looks like Dwayne Casey's gone, unfortunately. I think that's a terrible idea, but that's what they're leaning towards. A lot of people are saying, should we get rid of DeMar or Kyle? It's a bit of a stretch. They're your two best players. Yes, OGN and OB looked great in the playoffs because he did. He looked fantastic. He grew more than any other player on this team, but... Do you think he's going to put up the points that DeMar DeRozan has? Do you think he is going to be able to carry the weight that LeBron that DeMar DeRozan has? Maybe. I would push for another year. Keep DeRozan, keep Lowry for a year. Keep Casey for a year. Let OG be the third or fourth, depending on where you see Valanchunas. And let that bench mob grow. But if you dismantle it now, you're going to lose fans. Because Toronto's a very fickle market. If you're not winning, they don't like you. We've known that for years. It's been that way forever. So why is this all of a sudden now a big surprise? I, I don't understand where all these people are coming from where they say, oh, we got to get rid of DeMar. It doesn't make sense. It it doesn't make sense. Your team was just first in the Eastern Conference. And yes, you bombed out of the playoffs. That's understandable because you did. You sucked. You sucked huge. But dismantling the whole team because of one playoff? Well, not one playoff. I understand. Don't add, don't tweet me. They haven't been good in the playoffs for years. We know that. We've lost to LeBron how many times? But guess what? LeBron's been to seven straight finals? That means no one in the East has beaten him. Nobody. It's not just the Raptors. But it just seems that everyone's on the Raptors because we always lose to the Cavs. Because we play them every single year. If the Heat played them every single year, or if, well, I guess we can't really say the Heat. If Boston had played them, it played played LeBron every single year, they would. Th- this story could be said about them too. LeBron has not lost in an Eastern Conference playoff series since the year before he went to Miami. He's lost in the finals. That's 
that's obvious. Or Golden State's won two. But he hasn't lost an Eastern Conference playoff series in years. And yet Toronto looks like the team that sucks because they always have to play them. That's not really fair. Yes, Toronto needs to be better. Toronto was better this year, and they still couldn't do it. They didn't even look like they were on the same court. They forgot how to play basketball in this round. But it's not because they're not a good team. It's because LeBron is a great player. Possibly the greatest player. I don't want to get into that debate. Because I did not get to watch Michael Jordan in his prime. But I'm watching LeBron. And I've watched LeBron in his prime. He is a man amongst boys when he wants to play. And it's not even close. He made the Raptors look foolish. Because he was a better player. In the series, he had more points by himself than DeMar and Lowry put together. He he outscored the two best players on the Raptors. So the rest of his team just needed to outscore three. Four guys, three players. Now I know that's not how it works. I get that. But humor me. He single-handedly has pulled the Cavs to the conference final because the rest of his team is not that good. Kevin Love used to be a star. I don't think he's a star anymore. Kyle Korver is a good three-point shooter. Great. What else? Tristan Thompson has fallen off the face of the earth and he's getting garbage time minutes while getting booed by fans because of what happened with Chloe. Great. Who else on that team is a star? Jordan Clarkson's a good young player, but he's coming off the bench. Hill, he's not in his prime. If someone else can name a star on the Cavaliers, I'd love to hear it, but there isn't one. It's LeBron and LeBron. So best of luck whoever faces him in the next round. Looks like it's going to be Boston. They're up 3-1 on the 76ers, but granted the 76ers won game four to avoid the sweep, and they've been in every game. I don't think this series is a is a cakewalk in any sense of the imagination. Now, granted, game one, they lost by 16 points, but game two, five, game three, three, and then they won by 11. Like, they're in every game. A couple points here, a couple points there. This easily could be a 2-2 series. So, I don't know if this one's over yet. I like the 76ers. I like what they've done this year. Are they good enough to come back from a 0-3 hole? Probably not. But hey, stranger things have happened. Looking out in the West, you got the top two teams in the conference in Houston and Golden State up 3-1 in their respective uh, semifinal matchups. Houston's up 3-1 on the Jazz, who honestly have been a surprise to me. I did not realize how good Donovan Mitchell is. He is a great young player. Rookie of the year, possibly. Yes, a lot of people have Ben Simmons there. 
but Mitchell has to be in the conversation. I don't know how he wouldn't be in the conversation, but he has to be in the conversation. Yes, I think Houston wins this series. They're up 3-1 on a young Jazz team, but they've been a surprise to me in this playoffs. Good for them. In the other matchup, Golden State, as I mentioned, is up 3-1 on New Orleans. Uh, And Anthony Davis is doing everything he can to pull his team. But it's hard. Like, you're you're looking at possibly one of the best teams in the... uh, No, not possibly. One of the best teams in the league in Golden State. One of the most well-rounded scoring teams in the league in Golden State. Yes, they get a lot of production from the three-point line. But guess what? Draymond Green can bounce bodies down low. Klay Thompson can go in the paint and actually score too. Steph Curry might stay outside, but he he knows how to rush when he needs to. It's very, very hard. And Anthony Davis is doing his thing. He's got games of 21 points, 25, 33, 26. He's doing what he can. He's trying to pull them back, but... At the end of the day, the Golden State Warriors are too deep for the Pelicans. Plain and simple. They're just too deep. So we're probably looking at a Houston-Golden State Western Conference Final, which is what we expected. From there, I have no idea who wins that matchup. Because they're both really, really good teams. Say what you want about the East being weak. Because it is. The West, outside of those two teams, isn't that good. Portland finished third and lost to the Pelicans in four games. That's not good. Utah beat OKC, who was fourth in the conference, 4-2. That's not good. The top four teams in the East were the top four teams in the East. They made it through to the second round. So say what you want. The East might have had a bit more competition. The West is probably going to win the championship. Because I think the two teams in the West, Houston and Golden State, are better than any team in the East. But what do I know? I'm not an avid basketball fan. I like basketball. So I'd like to hear some people's opinions on that. All right, let's move on. Last thing of this podcast, I promise. Let's talk some baseball. And yes, it's still early season. Yes, there's not a whole lot of surprise going on in the MLB. But I still like talking baseball. I like to see some of the big stories that are taking place and some of the surprise stories that are taking place. For example, looking at the standings, it's very clear that one division isn't going how anybody thought it was going to go. In the AL, everything is pretty smooth sailing. Boston and New York are up at the top of the East standings. Toronto's only two games back of a wild card spot. Cleveland is winning the Central. Go figure. And then out West, Houston and LA are battling for the top spot. L.A. happens to be up in front, which to me is a bit of a surprise. They also have three games in hand, though. So we'll see how that plays out. But those are the two teams that I figured would be there. 
Seattle's only a game back of the second wild card spot, so good for them. Um, but nothing really surprises me in the AL. Even the teams at the bottom, Baltimore, is terrible. Eight and twenty-six. They're seventeen games behind Boston for the division lead, and twelve and a half back of a playoff spot. They're thirty-four games into the season. And you're 12 and a half games back. That's unacceptable. Chicago White Sox are at the bottom of the Central. Which again, isn't really a surprise to me either. Uh, they're only, they only have nine wins on the season. But I expected that. I thought Baltimore was going to be a bit, little bit better. Not much. And then Texas is at the bottom of the West. There's no real surprises to me there. You flip over to the National. The Central Division. You have four teams separated by two games. And then the Cincinnati Reds, who, by the way, acquired Matt Harvey today for Devin Mesoraco and Cash. I don't know who the Mets' trading team is, who they're, who's in charge of all that, but they swung a great deal. How do you get Cash and a player for a player who you were trying to demote and hasn't pitched well in three years? Sorry, hasn't pitched consistently well in three years. I, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. Anyways, regardless. St. Louis, Milwaukee, Pittsburgh, and Chicago are all separated by two games. In that order, by the way. Um, that's, that's a competitive division. You look out west. Arizona is surprisingly three and a half games up on the second place Colorado Rockies. San Francisco is third, and the LA Dodgers are fourth with San Diego pulling up the rear. That division is separated by 11 games between the 1st and 5th. Am I surprised? A little bit. I thought the Dodgers would probably be running away with the division, but they're not. Arizona's a good team, though, so I'm not really surprised, and Colorado and San Francisco are playing better than I thought. Dodgers have some injuries. They have to kind of figure stuff out. Seager's out for a while. Actually, he's out for the whole year. They'll have to figure that out. And now my surprise division. Dun, dun, dun. No, Miami being at the bottom is not my surprise. But the two teams at the top of this division are the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies are separated by half a game at the top of the NL East standings. These are two teams that are rebuilding. They're very young. Very inexperienced, but they have a few prospects that are playing well. The rest of that division is the Mets, who are one game back of Atlanta, and the Washington Nationals, who are a game and a half back. That's not to say that they're not in contention, not even close, but it's a surprise. You look at it, and it's a surprise. I didn't expect the Braves to be first. Always thought the pros- the uh, Nationals were going to be first. I'm surprised that the Phillies are second. Not that, not that the Mets and Nationals aren't playing well because they both are have winning records. I'm just surprised that these two teams are playing so well and so fast. 
out of the gate that they're sitting at the top of the division. And they have some of the top prospects, so it really shouldn't be a surprise. Ronald Acuna is playing on the Braves right now. Uh, Ozzie Albies is playing on the Braves right now. Those are two top-end players. It's not really a surprise. Mike Soroka, number three on their prospect list. He made his MLB debut, and he had a no-hitter or something going into the sixth or seventh. Actually, I don't think it was no-hitter. I think it was just a scoreless. But still, like, they're a good team. And then you look at the Phillies. Who do the Phillies have up right now? I think Kingery's up there with them. He's number two on their list. They got Odubel Herrera, who is one of the leaders in the MLB in batting average, I think. Yeah, he's eighth in the MLB and second in the NL in batting average. Like, it's like, really? I, I, it's hard to believe that these guys are doing so well. Ozzy Albies is tied for third in the NL in home runs with 10. He's got 24 RBIs. He's got 41 hits. Which I think he's second in the NL. Or third, Sorry, tied for third in the NL behind Marquecas. And, oh yeah, Odubel Herrera, who I just mentioned. Like, these guys are, they're young, but they're good. Now, do I think they're going to last all year up at the top of the division? No. But it's a surprise. It's nice to see those kind of things, though. Because how often do you get to see two teams that no one expected be at the top of the division? Very rare. It's, it's not something that happens very often in the MLB. Usually the teams that are at the top are the teams that are at the top for a reason. The Yankees and the Red Sox and the AL East. We know why they're there. We know that they're going to be the two best teams. My dad actually has tickets to go see the Atlanta Braves play the Philadelphia Phillies later this year down in Philadelphia. I don't know. It might be Atlanta. Either way. And I told him at the beginning of the year, I'm like, you're going to go watch two teams. that They're going to be young. They're going to be entertaining to watch, but they're probably not going to be that good. I might need to change my attitude because they're young. They're entertaining to watch. And oh yeah, they're good. Credit to them. Much credit to them. And oh yeah, if you look over on the other side. Let's look at the pitching of these teams. Philadelphia, Aaron Nola, 217 ERA. Not bad. Jake Arietta, 315 ERA. Sean Newcomb, I think it's Sean Newcomb, for Atlanta. He's posted a uh, 338 ERA. He's won all of his starts. Or, sorry, no, he has not won all of his starts. That'd be pretty impressive. He's 2-1. and one, But they're not... They're not losing it. They're definitely not the issue, an, an issue for their teams. Newcomb has 42 strikeouts in 32 
34 point and two-third innings. He's got a better ERA than Steven Strasburg, Julio Teheran. I go down the list if you want. Zach Granke, uh, Homer Bailey. That's not really a big name. I should I should have thought that one through. But you look at let's go back up. Aaron Nola has a better ERA than Lester, Kershaw, Hendricks, Syndergaard, Arietta. All those guys I mentioned before that were lower than Newcomb. There's only five pitchers who have a better ERA than Aaron Nola in the NL. It's Patrick Corbin, Chad Bettis, Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, and Carlos Martinez, who has the best ERA in the NL. You want to look all of MLB? Why not? You're still looking at Aaron Nola being the 13th best pitcher. 13th best pitcher. 1 to 12, Verlander, Cole, Martinez, Manea, Scherzer, DeGrom, Sale, Bettis, Severino, Porcello, Corbin, Morton. That's based off ERA. That's pretty good company to be in, if you ask me. He's still ahead of Gio Gonzalez, Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Mike Clevenger. As I mentioned, Lester Kershaw. That's good company. That's very, very good company. And I hope that 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 trend keeps going. Last thing I want to talk about really, really quickly with the MLB is the Jays' prospects. Because the boys are doing work down in the minor leagues. Vlad Guerrero Jr. hit a ball off of a hotel. No, I'm not kidding. He hit a ball off a hotel. And he's, it just kind of seems like he's doing it for fun at this point. He is batting 398 with 10 home runs, or far, sorry. Five home runs. That doesn't seem right. But five home runs, 39 hits, a 673 slugging percentage. Yeah, that's fun. His on base plus slugging is at 1.126. Enjoy that because it's going to be fun. Oh yeah, don't forget about the rest of the young guns. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who is now up in the majors, by the way, made the jump straight from my from double A to the MLB. He was batting 347. Kevin Biggio, 310. Bo Bichette, 302. Max Pentecost. He's struggling at the plate. He's only batting 222. But apparently he's catching like there's no tomorrow. Like he is he's becoming the top catcher that we thought he was going to. This team has the young guys who can actually make a difference in the near future. In Guerrero Jr. and Bichette, you basically have the left side of your infield for the next five years. And people are trying to call them up now. 
I don't understand why people think that's the best way to do it. It's not. In fact, in my opinion, they shouldn't be called up at all this year, except maybe as September call-ups on the expanded rosters. There is no need. You're not going to be playing meaningful games this year. They're going to be, they might be okay. They might be ready. But why? The Fisher Cats have an, a legitimate chance to be one of the best teams in A. Right now, they are one of the best teams in AA. They're 18 and 9. 18 and 9. All right? You want to look around the rest of the AA? There's one team that's 19 and 11. Two teams 19 and 11. One 20 and 12. And then you look in the Texas League, 18 and 11 and 21 and 10. The Fisher Cats have the least losses in all of Double A. They've had a lot of games rained out, by the way. So they missed, I think, three or four games in a row. But they're playing well. They're a good team, and they deserve to be there. They were ranked the fourth best minor league team of all the minor league teams. Double A, Triple A, Single A. Doesn't matter. They ranked the fourth best minor league team at the beginning of the year. So why don't you let them stay? Why don't you let them season? If they're that good, someone described them as boy men playing against boys in double A. Yeah, you're probably right. But if you ask me, what's the point of pushing them forward if the teams that they're going to play on aren't going to be competing? Right? You look at the triple A standings. Can't remember which league the Bison play. They play in the International League. I got it right. They're at 500, so they're not out of the playoff race. They're a game back of first in their division, technically. That's hard to believe. But they're still in it. They, they could easily make the playoffs. Okay? So my suggestion to all you Blue Jays fans who think you know what's best, and I don't know what's best either, but my suggestion is let them season. You don't have a spot for Guerrero right now on the team, on the MLB team, because Donaldson's at third. You're not going to move Donaldson for Guerrero. There's there's no need. You want Donaldson to be playing because, realistically, you want to move him either at the trade deadline or in the offseason so that you have a spot for Guerrero to play. So you leave him in double-A. Let him play there for a season or a half season. If he's still hitting about 400 in a month or two, move him up to triple-A. Why not? There's nothing wrong there. You move them up to AAA. Let them play half the season at AAA. And maybe, just maybe, when it comes to September call-ups, you let him come up and have a few games. Because next year he's going to play. If he keeps progressing like he is, and hitting opposite field bombs off a tee or hitting absolute moonshots off of hotels, he's going to be here. Don't you want him to have the confidence of two seasons, of a season where he absolutely raked in minors? Why bring him up and make him rush it? 
That'll be all for me for this week. Yes, we will try to have Justin back next week. If not, I will have a guest with me, hopefully, maybe, no guarantees, but I'll do my best. Thank you for, as always, thank you for listening. We hope to hear from you guys. Leave us, leave us a tweet. Send us a message on Facebook. We love to hear as, I mean, why not? We want to know what you guys think. We want to know what you guys want to hear. But that'll pretty much do it for all of us here at Garage Door Sports. Once again, thank you for listening, and we will see you next time.